Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back, my dear audience. You're tuned in to the Islamic History 2020 podcast. And we're picking up on our previous podcast, Who Killed Caliph Mustashid and his son Al Rashid? This is part two of part a two-part podcast. If you haven't listened into part one, then I recommend you do so that you've got the entire story. Although what I try to do is break the story up so that each podcast would be a podcast in its own right. But the overall story and the overall narrative is going to be gathered by listening to the first one and then the second one in succession. So just to recap, where have we got to? It's the year 1118, Middle Ages, uh, not Middle Ages, medieval times over in, the, over in the West and over in the East as well in Baghdad. Caliph al-Murtashid has just taken the caliphate. He's not like most caliphs because most caliphs are playing their part. They're holding down their role and almost puppets to the empire. And the empire in this particular case is the um, is the Seljuk Empire. This particular caliph, Mutashid, he's somebody who wants to almost get rid of the shackles of the empire's hold. And he's done things like, for example, the Seljuk Empire's sultan has implemented a um, vizier onto the caliph. And the caliph has said, no, no, I'm not going to have him as my vizier just because you, Sultan, want me to, and sacked him. I didn't mention in the previous one, but Caliph al-Mutashid, he went to the, well, he gave an order, and all of the wine, the alcohol, and the um, alcoholic-related um, products in the market of Baghdad were confiscated, and they were banned from being sold, even though the, um, the market belonged to the Sultan. So you can see that this caliph was trying to make ref reforms within the uh, empire and they were both religious reforms and authoritarian reforms, if, if that's such a thing. Well, it's, um, it's, uh, it's picked up where he's ended up having to raise an army. As I said, the first army that was raised by the caliph for over 100 years. And not only did he raise an army, he led that army against the Dubais. The Dubais are the Mazyadids, and they're a Shia sect, and they're raising, uh, they're causing uprising, they're trying to create problems within the caliphate, and he's taken an army to them and actually defeated them. Sultan Mahmud, he's the Sultan of the Seljuk Empire. He was getting a little bit nervous, you know, am I going to be overthrown by this caliph? The caliph should be staying in place, and this one's, you know, getting out of out of um, out on getting armies, he's raising capital. He's got popular support. I might be uh, overthrown. So he um, laid siege to Baghdad, and basically the caliph had to pretty much, you know, he held his ground, but he had to leave the city because the Seljuk army is a lot power, more powerful than the army of the caliph. But at this point, he realized how much public support Caliph Mutashid had. And the people were booing him. Get out of here. You, um, you know, you traitor. You shouldn't be fighting the caliph, the commander of the believers. Go and fight the Byzantines if you're going to fight somebody. Don't fight the Muslims. So eventually the caliph Mustashid and caliph uh, Sultan Mahmud reconcile. And that's pretty much the story up to Mah caliph uh, Sultan Mahmud because his, his brother um, takes the thrones as sultan after he dies. 
uh, usurping the um, sultanate from Mahmud's son Dawood, denying him that throne, and he develops a rift between the caliph. And we talked in depth about why that rift could have been uh, developed and the reasons and behind it. But ultimately, the biggest reason that I, the conclusion I came to, the biggest reason was because the caliph was trying to free the, free himself from the reins of the Seljuk Empire. It led to a full-on battle between Mutashid and Masud, and ultimately Masud wins because Caliph Mutashid's army pretty much deserted him. Remember, the left flank entirely deserted him and went over and joined Masud. And when that happened, it caused chaos onto the uh, battlefield, and uh, Mutashid was on his own essentially. Anyway, Musadid, Caliph, um, sorry, so many names here. Sultan Masud takes the caliph into his personal custody, arrests him, and he's en route now to Azerbaijan to fight Dawood, who is the son of the previous caliph, who's also his nephew, uh, because his son, Dawood, the previous sultan's son, is causing lots of problems in Azerbaijan, raising an army about to overthrow or trying to overthrow Masud. So Masud's en route to um, Azerbaijan, he's got the caliph in custody with him, but he's got personal bodyguards looking after him, and arrive, and here arrives an envoy from the overlord Sanjar, who's also the uncle of Masud. Sanjar has sent a envoy essentially to say, hey, look, you can't take the caliph in, um, in, in, in prison, imprison him. He's the caliph. I recommend you, rec I recommend you release him, send him back to Baghdad, and um, you know, free him. While this is happening. Somebody sneaked into the caliph's tent. They've stabbed him multiple times. They cut off his ears and they cut off his nose, all whilst the um, Quran is being recited by the um, by the caliph. So the caliph dies doing a great deed. So that's where part one has taken us. A quick recap of part one. There's lots of details there that we delved into. So I do recommend you listening to it if you haven't already. And if you have, we're all caught up. Now we're going to pick up on the next part of the story, the immediate aftermath and the year preceding it, because his son, Caliph Mutashid's son, takes the thrones. But the throne is only taken for one year. He's only a caliph for under a year, actually, and he's murdered like his father. And I had a lot of trouble because this particular caliph He's only been in the public sphere for only under a year, for only a year essentially. And so there's not much written about him whatsoever. And what is written by him is very, very superficial and doesn't go into any detail. So ultimately, it was challenging trying to understand and, and give you the narrative of this particular story. And the way I've done it is I've had to go into academic research um, and look at stories related or papers related to that time either and then see what mention of a Rashid is made. And then by piecing together all of those individual pieces of information that are part of a bigger collective of, uh, collective of information, I'm able to bring the story together. So I've stitched it up quite quite a lot. Um, and I've taken uh, research from a lot of places. Now it's a little bit, um, a little bit sad, really, because two reasons. Number one, the Islamic history 
books, like if you go and read about him, it gives you a very superficial story. And that story, I'm going to actually challenge of how accurate it is. And secondly, because he had such a short time in, in, public, um, in the public sphere, there's not a lot written about him. And there certainly isn't a lot translated from Arabic into English about him. So it's really difficult to get any research. Um, and I guess why why should they? Because he wasn't he wasn't a major player. It's only because we picked up his narrative that uh, we're going into it. So let's get started. Islamic history 2020. Who killed Caliph Al Muqtasir and his son Al Rashid? Part two. In the immediate aftermath, the people were shocked. They were shocked that the Caliph was killed in such a brutal, heinous way. I mean, his ears. And his nose, did they really have to be cut off? Sultan Masood was making a big hoo-ha about it. He was talking about the assassins doing it, the Shias doing it. And a lot of suspicions actually went on to Masood. People started pointing fingers. It was probably him, they thought. Yeah, it was him that got him killed, had him killed. In a bit of a show to the people, Sultan Masood executes the leader of the Dubais, or the leader of the Masayids, Shias, Dubais. His name is Dubais. And, they, and he says he was responsible for the murder of Caliph Mutashid. Because if you remember back in part one, we talked about Caliph Mutashid. Um, Mutashid actually um, raising an army to go and fight the Dubais. So in Sultan Masood's head, he probably thinks that's a, that's a, that's a good story to put out there. In Baghdad, the people take allegiance, they take Bayah, an oath of allegiance to Mutashid's son, al-Rashid. Al-Rashid only led and ruled for one year, 1135 to 1136, and he was killed in Isfahan, in Iran. And again, the traditional books of history say that he was killed by the assassins, the same assassins that killed his father. And... The first part of this story now is what we're going to take from what the traditional books of history say. And the second part is going to be from the deep dive I've done into his life and his story and life and his history. And we'll try to piece it together and we'll see where there is a bit of difference. So what the traditional historians say is that he took the throne when his dad was killed. He used tyrannical methods to extort money from the people of Baghdad. And the people of Baghdad, they complained to Sultan Masood. This caliph, he's making us pay these taxes and that taxes and pay this money and that money. And we're just not happy with it. So Sultan Masood comes to Baghdad to, and listens to the complainants. And in fact, he compiles a book of evidence. Doc, uh, documenting every single complaint from every single person in the um, in the area who had a complaint against the caliph, they would say, and they did say, he took money from us by force. He in fact shed blood unnecessarily. He's a caliph who drinks wine, they would say. Whilst this is happening, happening, the caliph has left for Mosul. Sultan Masood takes this book of evidence to the justice of legal scholars. All of the scholars who are in the judiciary system, he takes it to them and asks them, this is a book of evidence I've collected from the people 
and they say he takes money by force, he sheds blood, drinks wine, and all sorts of other sins and wrongful acts. Is this befitting of a caliph? He asked the justice of legal scholars. And the justice of legal scholars read the book and say, no, this is not befitting of a caliph. And they have him disposed, uh, deposed, not disposed, deposed, although they do dispose of him later. So Sultan Masood then has Mutazhir given the caliphate. And Mustazhir, Mustazhir, you'll remember from part one, he is the brother of Mutashid. And when Mutashid took the caliphate, his brother Mutazhir didn't want to give him all and actually left for what was it in Baghdad, in Iraq. So now that the Caliph al-Rashid, the son of Mutazhid, is not a suitable befitting Caliph, Mutazhid gets the Caliphate. When al-Rashid heard about him being disposed, he went to Azerbaijan where he hired soldiers and he looted the palace. He then came back to Iran to Hamdan, Hamden, Hamdan where he created violence and riots amongst the people. He had people hanged, he had people killed. He even got the scholars to shave their beards off. He then went to Isfahan and he pretty much did the same thing. And on the 16th of Ramadan in Isfahan, he fell ill and he was then stabbed by non-Arabs. The official offices of uh, the Baghdad closed for a day, one day to mark his death. And that was it. And they move on to the story and the narrative of Caliph Mutazhid, the uncle of Ar-Rashid and the brother of Mutashid. And that's it. They say that, except they say one other thing as well. They say that he was born without an anus and had to have it surgically operated on. So that's the story of Al-Rashid from the traditional historic books from Muslims. And we could just leave it there, painting this really dark picture of this, this very loose, very you know renegade caliph. He's got the power now. He's taking money by force. He's shedding blood, drinking wine, having beards cut off from the scholars, killing people, hanging people. He's on, a, he's on a mad one. And we could take that. And we could just move on to the next caliph in the Abbasid um, dynasty. He was the 30th and we wanted the 31st and think nothing of it. But I'm going to say, let's hold up a minute. Let's hold on a minute because I'm not buying into it. And the fundamental reason I'm not buying into it is, is, is because his father was was praised. He was he was the caliph who had was courageous and brave. He was learned. He was religiously minded and pious. So come on, how can a father be praised so much? And how can you have a father who's so good and a son who is opposite? I mean, there are examples in history of of, of sons going you know complete wayward, but really. 
So let's go into some of the deep dive research that I've picked out. Let's go through another version of his uh, story and let's see what uh, we can come about, come together with. And you've got to remember that the next piece is just a hypothesis from me. The evidence is accurate. You know, this is documented historical facts about him. But I will come up with a hypothesis and it will be just that. First of all, the assassins killed um, al-Rashid. Just like the assassins killed um, Caliph Mutashid, his dad. And although I mentioned in part one that the assassins, the Nizari Ismailis, the Hashashins, they had reason to kill his dad because they were in the point of creating this Nizari state, you know, a state within a state, within the Seljuk Empire. Um, there was already, like, you know, he's already going ahead and this new caliph, if he took power from the Seljuk Empire, would actually derail some of that. So I can understand him potentially being killed by the Nizari Ismailis in an assassination. But what possible reason does the assassins have to kill al-Rashid? Al-Rashid posed no threat to the assassins. In fact, at the time of his death, he had been deposed. So he had no political power. And if you read the book by um, Anthony Cox, I think it is, The Assassins of Alamut, they actually say that after killing... Um, killing him in Isfahan, they were rejoicing in Castle Alamut. But why? Why would they rejoice? There's no reason for them to rejoice. And the only reason the assassins would have killed al-Rashid, in my opinion, is if they were hired to do so. And there is ample evidence. There is ample evidence that I've gone through even in my podcast, previous ones, where they've been hired by Seljuk leaders by the Crusaders, by various different dynasties and kings and you know leaders within the dynasties to take out um, their counterparts or take out their competitors. So the only reason the assassins would, I think, kill al-Rashid is if they were a hired to do so. And the people that would have possibly hired them to do it was the person that they were, they were, that Rashid was a threat to, the, the, Al-Rashid was a threat to the Seljuks, so therefore, it's fair to say that he could have been hired by Sanjar, the overlord, or Masood, the sultan, to take out both his father, and later on his son as well. So why would it be documented that they would be celebrating in Castle Alamut? That's what Anthony Campbell says. Well, what is not mentioned is at the same time as the death of um, al-Rashid, the leader of the Nizari Ismailis, Muhammad I, had a son. So they were probably, in my opinion, celebrating the birth of a baby son. Because even if they did kill um, al-Rashid, there's no way to celebrate. There's not, he's not like a political high-flying person that's going to free up the space. You know, when Nizam al-Mulk was assassinated, I could imagine Castle Alam cheering because Nizar al-Mulk was going to, well, they sent an army to take them out. So there's no reason for Alamut castle people to be celebrating the murder of al-Rashid or even the death of al-Rashid, but certainly a reason to celebrate the birth of Muhammad I's son. Also, it says that, um, interestingly, it says, after the death of al-Rashid by the assassins, 
the people of if 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 shahan was went on a killing spree of anyone suspected to be a nizari ismaili go back to the traditional history books they say that um the cal the caliph of rashid was went on a killing spree in if if isfahan it could be that the historians have just documented the time frame late and there was a killing spree but after the de death of al-rashid and the killing spree was because the supporters of al-rashid were killing all the nizari ismailis as they were suspected of assassinating al-rashid potentially so immediately after the death of the sultan sorry i mean after the death of uh, caliph al-mutashid sultan masud was informed by his ex-vizier of the accession, the, the, the accession of al-rashid and he reluctantly gave baya to him he reluctantly gave his um, allegiance oath of allegiance and he instructed a person called beg abba to do the same beg abba was his shina in baghdad shina again is a medieval islamic term relating to like a military attache or a military administrator and essentially his man in baghdad he said go and give him baya and represents the baya from the from me essentially from the sultan but he was reluctantly doing that I already mentioned that the suspicion fell on Masood that he had a Mutashid uh, Mutash killed. So what he did is he went and killed the Duvays, uh, which was the leader of the Muzayid Shias. And I already mentioned that previously um, Masood actually honoured Duvays and gave him a throne. So like, you know, in a very short space of time, he's now executed Duvays. Now, Masood did send an envoy, including Beg Abba, his military attaché, to the new caliph. But that, that envoy was there requesting money from Caliph al-Rashid. Caliph al-Rashid said, look, you did not deliver your, my father safely to Baghdad, so therefore I can't give you the money, the ransom money he was imprisoned if you remember and the envoy said no 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 it's not it's not for the return of your father it's for the cost of the battle which he agreed to pay caliph said look caliph al-rashi said i don't even have that money so even if i was to pay it i couldn't and so the shinna beg abba started to loot the palace looking for money looking for things to take and say this is you know the cost of war etc we're taking that on behalf of the sultan and so the caliph had beg abba arrested and money confiscated from him at the same time the caliph instructed for the defense walls of the city to be repaired knowing that arresting the beg abba who's come for money from the on behalf of the sultan is only going to result in one one thing so he had the defense walls repaired and he also collected lots of supporters and he gave out iktas now remember earlier one of the first things the traditional scholars say is that he um, demanded money from the people you know unjustly he took money from them well this is interesting 
he collected supporters and he couldn't really pay them so he gave them ictas ictas are like a form of taxation on land so it's highly likely it was basically a medieval taxation system which allowed the holder to tax the people of that particular land so so it's highly likely that when the traditional uh, historians say that he exhorted pe money from the people which ultimately led to the complaining to the caliph uh, to the sultan it could be that in order to collect the support support and you know encourage them to support him and fight for him essentially he gave out these iktas and these these holders of the iktas when a bit harsh demanded money from the people potentially again hypothesis regardless giving out the iktas wasn't really it fixing the defense walls and having the beg abba the military attache the shinna arrested um, really angered um, Masood, and he left to a, go to Baghdad and he essentially laid siege to Baghdad for 51 days and he looted Baghdad in those 51 days and he eventually entered the city but the caliph had actually left for Mosul by that time And in this time, when the caliph was in Mosul, he's actually gathered a lot of support from some heavyweights. He's got Dawood. Dawood is the son of Mahmud. Mahmud is the former sultan, um, and his son Dawood should have taken the sultanate, but his uncle Masud took it from him. So Dawood's got a grudge to bear. Um, so he's supporting now Caliph Al Rashid. Zangi. He's a commander of parts of Iran. Now, here's an important name. We're going to actually do an entire podcast on Zangi because this man is a heavyweight. He's really interesting. Um, we'll talk about him later. But he's got Zangi's support. He's got Said Sadia ibn Dubais. Remember, that's the son of Dubai. Dubais was killed by Al -Mas uh, Sultan Masud. And so his, uh, his son has come to get revenge. And he's also got the support of many Turkish commanders who have defected the uh, uh, Sultan and joined um, the Caliph. And all of them were encouraging, encouraging the um, Caliph to attack Masud. And Masud essentially um, recognized that when the Caliph is doing this, he's in violation of an agreement that the Caliph signed and wrote out himself that he wouldn't take up arms against the Sultan. So when the caliph is in Baghdad, knowing that over in um, Mosul there's all this support for the caliph, he's raising an army, he's ready to take up arms against him. So when he's in um, Baghdad, the, uh, when Sultan Masud's in Baghdad, he goes and releases a number of prisoners who are include the nobles, viziers, and leaders and scholars that had, had been imprisoned at the time of Mutashid by the Sultan. And then he called together a council and asked the suitability of Rashid as a caliph. And unsurprisingly, they all agreed with the Sultan, who was just freed them from prison, by the way, that the caliph al Rashid is not suitable, he's not befitting to be a caliph. And then they elect. Al Mutazhir, and Rashid, who's Rashid's uncle, and if you remember, Mutashid's brother, who didn't take Bayah from him. So the new caliph now is Al Mutazhir. 
But it is worth noting that Mutazhir would have paid a heavy fee to buy the title from Masood. It wasn't a case of it wasn't a case of uh, a Masood electing the best man for the job or the council electing that council is a is a sham anyway because he's all former prisoners released and being asked who should we elect in and what should we do with Rashid? They don't want to go back to prison. No, Sultan, you're definitely right. We agree with you, and they're out of prison. And Mutazhir has bought this um, title from Masood. But to further impoverish the uh, Caliph, Mus uh, Sultan Masood not only takes the money, which would have been a hefty amount of money from the um, uh, Mutazir to buy the title, he also confiscated all gold and all silver from Baghdad, from the palace essentially, from the treasury, and he left them all but three horses. And this was to stop any further rebellion from the Caliph. Now at this point, the deposed Caliph al-Rashid has left Mosul to go to Azerbaijan with Dawood. Now if you remember, the traditional scholar, uh, history historians say he went to Baijan, hired a bunch of soldiers and caused havoc there. Well he's gone with Dawood. Dawood is the person who should have been the new Sultan but his uncle has taken that from him. So ultimately, um, they haven't gone to cause havoc. Azerbaijan was a stronghold for Dawood. There was a lot of support there for Dawood. So when he went there buying up soldiers, he was probably to come back and fight Masood. But just before they left, Zengi, a powerful leader, his full name is Imad al-Din Zengi. He's an Atabeg, ruling Mosul, Aleppo, Homs, um, you know, some major cities in and around Iraq and Syria. And he's the former, he's the person that formed the Zengid dynasty. He's a heavyweight. We're going to do a whole podcast on him. He's really interesting. But anyway, he sent like an envoy, a, a messenger to Sultan Masood to see what, how the land lies, essentially. Um, just for your own information, Caliph al-Rashid did the same, but his envoy and messengers were rejected from the Sultan's palace. But Zengi's messengers and envoy were accepted in, in front of the Sultan and had an audience with the Sultan, mainly because Zengi was so powerful. Now his emissaries, his messengers, on day one, rejected the Sultan, said, listen, Sultan Masood, you are not our Sultan. We are not going to, um, I think Sultan Masood asked him to, like, not bow, but whatever the royal court, whatever you do in the royal court, you take your hat off or whatever. I can't remember. I did read it and I, just, I can't remember. But whatever they did, they said, well, you're, not our, you're not our Sultan, so we're not going to show you the the, you know, the, the, the respect that we would show a sultan. Dawood is our sultan. Remember, Dawood is a person that uh, was a son of the former sultan. And he reject, they rejected the caliph saying, Al-Mutazir, you are not our caliph. Al-Rashid is, we don't accept you as our caliph. However, on day two, the emissaries did a 180 complete turn and accepted Masood as a sultan and Mutazir as the caliph. Why? Why was it that in... Day two, Zengi and Zengi's emissaries have essentially done a complete 180 and betrayed al-Rashid, betrayed Dawood and accepted the current sultan and the new caliph. Well, people say he was 
you know, too honourable to accept it a bribe. And, you know, it's not, it wasn't befitting of him. But Zengi was a strong political leader. He knew how to play the game. And we'll talk about it. And this is why I'm going to have a whole section on him. Is because, you know, throughout his career as the leader, he's played different rulers. He's supported one caliph against another um, sultan, against a sultan, against a different caliph. So he's, he's really politically astute. And he's probably recognised he's in an impossible position supporting al-Rashid and um, Dawood. So therefore, they've, he's accepted the current state of play. But it served him well, actually, because the caliph gave him further land and also further titles in recognition for him accepting uh, the new caliph. So Zengi advises al-Rashid, the former deposed caliph, and Dawood, the, um, the son of the former sultan, go to Azerbaijan, keep it low there, don't, don't you know, kick up a fuss, you've got no ground to win here. And, 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 and that's pretty much it, really. That's pretty much as far as I could find. So as I say, there's more to it than what the historians actually talk about. And let's just get it, go back to, back to the beginning. The father of al-Rashid is a righteous man. You know, he's just been killed, murdered in a horrific way. And his son's come to power. He's probably just trying to avenge the death of his father. He's probably not doing those things that he said he's, they said they're doing. He's trying to avenge the murder. And the people have just left him with this really awful legacy and really awful reputation and destroyed it because the Seljuks were essentially given, playing, you know, giving out propaganda against him. So let's go back through some of it. He took money by force. Well, as I already said, he's probably the Itka. It was a book of evidence. Um, that the chief legal system, uh, legal scholars deposed him off the back of. Well, no, he, no, no. The Seljuk um, Sultan released a bunch of nobles who deposed him. It wasn't off the book of a book of evidence. And even if there was a book of evidence, I mean, who was it collected from? Mutazhir bought the title off the Sultan, so there was a financial reason to depose him. And remember, in Azerbaijan, you know, he paid soldiers and raised an army and caused havoc. Well, he probably raised the army with Dawood. So the elements of that are true, but the second part isn't. There's no evidence of him going to Hamdan and causing riots. And no evidence of him going to Isfahan and causing riots. There could have been bloodshed after the death. Because as I say, if the people thought it was the Ismailis, they... If his supporters thought it was the Ismailis, at that time, the Nizari Ismailis assassins, they were being purged anyway. So there's a chance that a lot of that bloodshed came off the back of his murder. Because back then, if you were even suspected of being an assassin, they would kill you. You know the beard trimming of the scholars? Remember, go back to the old man of the mountain. The Nizari Ismailis was po would pose as Sunni scholars, big beards, you know, real religiously educated people, and then they would convert people to Ismailism. So that whole cutting of the beard could be related to, you know, trying to 
dig out the Nizari Ismailis in amongst the people. And also, the final thing is, if he was hated so much and he was, you know, forcing money from the people of Baghdad, why did why did the Caliph Mutazhid also uh, um, order the new Caliph order a day of mourning, closed up all official res uh, buildings, you know, like a bank holiday almost? Why would they do that? So. The evidence isn't as clear-cut, but I genuinely believe this um, Caliph al-Rashid has been portrayed to be someone he isn't. He was a man. I hope that he was righteous. I hope that he was a, a good man who came to the throne after his dad was brutally murdered. And he tried to avenge the murder of his dad. And in doing so, the Sultan, who was more, much far more powerful far more resources and at his at his disposal ruined his name i mean look it's evidence that sultan masood killed the muzyahids and the killed dube because they thought he he assumed that they killed his father sorry the caliph mutashid but just a month or so earlier sultan masood was honoring dubes he demanded money off the new caliph. He, he said, look, I don't care if your dad's dead. You need to pay for the cost of war. He didn't like the fact that Shinaw had been arrested. I mean, you know, his father was killed because he tried to unshackle himself from the Seljuk rule. And looks like his uh, son was doing the same thing by arresting the military attache, the military ad administrator of the Seljuk uh, in empire and the Seljuk, Seljuk sultans in Baghdad is a show of defiance to the ruling uh, emperors. And look how he subjugated the new caliph by taking away his money, depleting him of all his resources, taking away all his donkeys and horses. But, you know, he took away all of them and left them three to carry the water. And it's really sad that history has al-Rashid down like this. He only ruled for one year, and in that year he tried to avenge his death and regain the title that was taken from him. And I feel that history should be re-looking at this and thinking about al-Rashid's life and his contribution to the Abbasid dynasty and why he did the things he did. And they should take a, a magnifying glass and put it under the Seljuk rulers at the time. Because traditionally, the Seljuk rulers and the Seljuk dynasties are thought of highly by the Sunni Muslims because... They fought off the Buyids, who were Shias, earlier on and essentially saved Baghdad from the uh, Shia um, uh, over overthrowing, being overthrown by Shias. So they used, the Seljuk have used this popularity to almost like do what they want and really subjugate the Caliphs. So we've just mentioned the 29th and the 30th caliph in the Abbasid um, Empire and the Abbasid dynasty. You know, Harun al-Rashid, he's somebody else that was early on from the Abbasids who was really known for doing a lot for the, um, the, Muslim, the Muslim world at the time. Maybe we can do one on him. But I think we need to... 
well, actually, I, I would like to make a, a prayer for Al-Rashid because Al-Rashid is documented in many books as somebody who, oh, he wasn't born with an anus. I mean, how, how much further can you actually insult a person? Someone who drank and bullied the people and took their money and shed blood. And I pray that God reveals the truth about Al-Rashid and he rests in peace and he's raised with honour. And the people that put this propaganda out there and ruined his name like this are brought to justice because it's very easy to say things, create rumours and rumours become the truth when you when it's repeated often enough and and no one questions it then is well everybody's saying this so it must be true but there are troublemakers in this world and we got them in our communities now you know here in cardiff we have troublemakers like that they 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 create rumors and they put it out there and those rumors become truth and ultimately this is what happened to al rashid after his death he couldn't defend himself he couldn't stand up and speak on his own behalf and these rumours and these lies put out by the Seljuk, um, the Seljuk rulers have become the truth. So much so is written in black and white in one of the most authentic historic, historic books of history of Muslims that he was all those things. So thank you very much for listening in to this particular podcast. It was really difficult to get the second part completed. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed digging down and finding out about this and um, we shall pick up later on with further podcasts that concludes the podcast who killed Caliph al-Muttashid and his son al-Rashid I hope I've been able to shed some further light into the lives of Caliph al-Muttashid and his son and the people around him and some of the steps that Caliph al-Muttashid did in order to free himself from the chains of the Seljuk army or the Seljuk dynasty. And it was to no much avail really because fast forward another hundred years or so and um, the Abbasid Empire comes to a cracking end with the um, siege of Baghdad which in fact is already we've already had a podcast on this. So the next podcast which will be released will be taking us back in time a little bit more to a roughly, I need to do the maths because it was 51 after Hijr in the Islamic calendar, roughly 660 CE um, in the Christian calendar or the Western calendar. I think that's right. I always get confused when I do these numbers uh, off the top of my head. I should stay away from doing them. The next one we're going right back, right back to about about 60 years or so or 50 years or so um, after the death of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, to one of his companions called Hujr ibn Adihi. His story is phenomenal, but what is even more phenomenal is in 2013, the uh, free Syrian rebel army in Syria desecrated his um, uh, his grave essentially and dug his body out there's pictures of him all over CNN and, um, and and Fox News and the major news outlets across the world and it was humiliating to Hujr ibn Adihi because you know he's dead he's laying in the grave and now his body's been exhumed in this way but there's so much to it there's a reason why it was done 
and the story is fascinating. So please do tune into um, that in the next few days. It will be launched and I hope you enjoyed this particular podcast. If you're enjoying it, please get on to the uh, like button and like it, share it, share it with friends. If you're listening on Spotify, please do share it with friends. If you're listening to on Anchor or any of the other podcast listening devices, please do like it and share it across your friends. Let's get the word out there. And this is your host, Mohammed Alamgir, signing off. Assalamu alaikum. See you next time.